Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we share resources by and for adoptive and foster moms. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it, and we're here for you. Well, hello, friends. Welcome to episode 85 of the Adoption Connection Podcast, where today we are going to be talking about the Enneagram. But before we get to that, Melissa, how is your family doing? Well, we have added yet another person back to our house. Our oldest son is going to wait out the rest of the pandemic here at home. And I don't know about you, Lisa, but I feel like every time we add one more person to the house, like the chaos and the noise, in this case, it's not really bad, but it's just exponential. Like there's more family dynamics. There's more, you know, more people to poke and tease the baby. I don't know. I just feel like everything's louder at my house right now. And he's the quietest kid we have. Do you think it's because it just is bringing the energy up higher? You know, there's just more people, more words, more movement, everything. Yeah. I, it's a, it's a lot of things. I don't know. So, uh, it's great to have him back. He's helping Patrick in the bathroom. He's our drywall specialist. So he has been doing a fantastic job you know, mudding and sanding drywall, making it look fantastic, way better than my husband could do it. I don't know. So it's fun, but we, our house is not set up for this many people. So he's just kind of camping out in our living room. So that's just kind of an extra thing. And one more person for our single little toilet. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay. (laughs) So we have, you know, at home right now with kids who've come home during this, we have five of our kids at home. And last weekend, we had another son here. So that made six. He was only able to stay a few days. I wish he could have stayed longer because he brought, he brought sort of some, I don't know, happiness. It was just really good to have him here. But he was, he only stayed a few days. But yeah, quarantine with everybody home. My younger boys are about to go out of their minds. They so badly want to get together with friends. They want to go places. And it's. I think it's getting harder as quarantine is getting a little more wishy-washy, you know, in different places. Like people are definitely experiencing it differently. And my boys know exactly how they want to experience it. And it's not the way we're doing it. Yeah, I feel that. I mean, I feel that. I'm like, I'm to the point where I'm like, is this really as big of a deal as we all thought it was going to be? Can we just get out of our houses? Like I'm, I'm starting to forget, right? The initial reasons, the, the shiny has certainly worn off. The coping mechanisms aren't working as well anymore. I mean, I'm kind of with your boys. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really interesting in it having so many different personalities in both of our families and in our homes and with us all being together all the time, it's even clearer how uniquely wired everybody is in my family. Today, we're going to be talking about that very thing because we're talking about the Enneagram. And the Enneagram is new to some of us, but it's actually quite ancient. But Melissa, why don't you tell us how you discovered the Enneagram for the first time? As with all good things, I heard about the Enneagram on a podcast. I was listening (laughs) to That Sounds Fun with Annie F. Downs, and she was talking about Christmas gifts for all personality types on the Enneagram. And of course, I knew a lot about other personality typing systems, Myers-Briggs, Finders, but I hadn't heard this Enneagram one. And just the way that they talked about the nine types, there were little pieces where I thought, ooh, I get that, or oh, I understand that, or oh, I've never thought about it that way. And I was kind of hooked. Yeah, it's so fascinating to me. You know, as a really young person, I was 
always, always interested in personality. And my degree is in psychology, my bachelor's. And I remember taking the Myers-Briggs for the first time and just being like, wow, what is this? This is so interesting. So um, I heard about the Enneagram the, a few years ago now, almost. And I remember the first book or interview I heard was with uh, Ian Cron and he was talking, and Suzanne Stabile. I think it, the interview was with Ian, but he was talking about his book, The Road Back to You, which we will put a link to that in the show notes, by the way. And um, that was my first real introduction. And I was just caught by it. You know, it really made me think about myself, made me think a lot about the people I love and the closest relationships I have. So I just wanted to learn more and more. Yeah. I love how it gives words to things. We talk about naming its tainment a lot here and it's a system. I love systems. I'm an engineer by education. It gives me a way to sort out and psychoanalyze my people in a really succinct (laughs) and simplified way. So I'm all in. (laughs) Well, we have some really, really special guests today. So do you want to introduce them, Melissa? Yeah, we are super excited to welcome Beth and Jeff McCord to the podcast. They are founders of Your Enneagram Coach, a community designed to be a safe place for individuals to explore a Christ-centered Enneagram. So through their teaching, they guide individuals, couples, and groups to self-awareness and life-enhancing growth. They also have a new book out called Becoming Us, which is a marriage book, a course curriculum. Uh, They do date night events and retreats. And so they combine their more than 20 years of marriage wisdom, pastoral experience. Jeff is a pastor and all their Enneagram studies to provide a roadmap for couples to break free from unhealthy patterns, align their marriage with the gospel, and grow into the couple God designed them to be. They live in Nashville. We have two kids who are like young adults. We specifically asked them to come on because Jeff is an adoptee himself, and we were able to kind of explore that, how that helps bring insight to his story as well. I'm really excited that they were here. So we didn't just talk about the Enneagram and marriage, which is what their new book's about, but we really dove into the Enneagram and parenting and adoption. Stick around to the end because we have something really exciting to share with you. Jeff and Beth, welcome to the Adoption Connection podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Melissa. We're really glad you're here. This is going to be such an interesting conversation. What would be most helpful, I think, for our listeners is if you would start by just giving us an overview of what the Enneagram is. Yeah, so the Enneagram is different than other personality systems because it's really a map of personal growth. If you think about it as being your internal GPS, that you have a current location, which is your main Enneagram type, um, and then you have a healthiest destination for your personality type. And so we definitely all want to go in that trajectory, but on this side of Evan, we tend to fall into common pitfalls time and time again. And so we want to know what that looks like, not so that we can have shame and guilt and all that stuff, but that we can be aware and alert to get back on our best path. So we also use the Enneagram kind of like that rumble strip that's on that highway. You know, when you're driving down and you hit it and it alerts you like, yeah, if you keep going that direction, you're going to go off the road. 
Well, that's kind of how we also want to use the Enneagram because the Enneagram is very clear on why you, and that's the biggest word, why you think, feel, and behave in particular ways. And so if we understand that our heart condition is healthy or unhealthy, it helps us to kind of navigate that internal world. And so by seeing what our personality tendencies are when we're not healthy, it can alert us like, oh yeah, it feels like I should think this way or do this. But actually, if I continue in that trajectory, I'm going to fall in that same pitfall that I do that I don't actually want to do. And so then we can correct course, kind of recalculate. But then we can also see what our healthiest direction and what it looks like when we're at our healthiest looks like. So then we can move in that direction. And so it's really exciting to have like this hope of where we can go. Um, And so that's really kind of what we're focusing on is this internal direction with inside us. Um, And so that's really kind of how we want to use the Enneagram. And there's nine basic Enneagram types, or you can also say there's nine basic ways of seeing the world and interpreting it, reacting to it. Um, And so I might be looking through, let's say purple sunglasses. You might be looking through red or green. And so that's why so often we're like, why did you do that? You know, like I would never have done that, you know, Um, or why is he like that? Uh, it's because they're probably seeing and interpreting it in a different way if they're a different personality type. And so this gives us the opportunity to have more compassion, understanding, mercy, grace, and love in ways that we never thought was possible. Because if we can take off our lens for just a second and put others on, then it's more likely for us to go, oh, that's why you do that. Or that's why you thought that. Well, that doesn't mean we agree with it or it was okay, but it allows us to extend ourselves towards that person and to help them in a way we never thought possible or would have even thought of to begin with. So in a nutshell, that's a little bit how you can describe what the Enneagram is. I think it gives us so much language and words, you know, in parenting, we talk about like naming it to tame it. And I think that's been really helpful. Um, mm. There, Like you said, there are nine types and there are a bajillion different places to kind of get an overview of that and figure it out. And so we're like precious little time. So we're not going to spend time to dive into that here. Um, Beth and Jeff have a new book out that does do that and they have a website. So we'll talk about all of that at the end and point you guys to the show notes where you can find out more about that. But could you guys just tell us when we're looking at Enneagram resources, and right now there seems to be an explosion of them, what is like the important thing to remember or something to not get caught up in or any just guidance as we're trying to figure out kind of which of those nine buckets we might fall into? The biggest thing is you don't want to use the Enneagram as a sword or a shield. Um, You don't want to use it as a sword, whether you're sarcastic, belittling, mean towards others or yourself. And you don't also want to use it as a shield, whether you're excusing other people's behaviors or your own, like, well, this is just who I am. I guess that's just the way it's going to be. Like that is not what personal growth is about. There is a path to transformation. There is a path to health in our personality style. And so we don't want to just sit back and kind of just blame the personality system. And a lot of people do that. Unfortunately, we want to use this as a path of growth. Um, The other thing I think uh, we want to realize is that all nine types have four core motivations. You have a core fear that you're running away from, a core desire that you're trying to obtain, a core weakness, which is like your Achilles heel, the thorn in your side, it's tripping you up all the time. And then you have a core longing, a message that your heart has always longed to hear. And so that is what you want to focus in on when you're trying to find your main type. A lot of people are used to other typologies that look at behavior or preferences. This is all about those core motivations, why you do what you do. Um, And so uh, in the show notes, you'll put in um, a link to 
a sheet, a front and back sheet of the nine types core motivations. And you really want to focus in on that, not just the outward behaviors. And a couple of things I'd add um, that it, uh, having coached with the Enneagram for a number of years now, uh, two things kind of come together when people find out their Enneagram type. Uh, so number one, it, it is a art to find your type. It's not something that's necessarily quick. It's very common for people to mistype themselves. Even I mistyped myself for several years. And when I found out my type, I was so frustrated with the Enneagram. I didn't want to read anything about it for an entire year. Um, <laughs> But Beth knew my type the whole time, but she's kind of the Enneagram Yoda. So that just, she knows everything. Um, but I think secondly is uh, particularly we see within marriages that wives want to find their type and then they want to find out their spouse's type and uh, just be cautious about it. Be kind, be patient. Um, particularly men will say, I don't want to be put in a box or I don't, I don't want to have something used against me, like more complaints about our relationship. And so be kind and gracious. And then I think the third one is, is that we naturally look to our children because it parents are very anxious about what it, what does it mean to shepherd, to tend to, to attune to your children, to find your children's type. And the Enneagram is most powerful when it's used personally, um, not forcing other people to somehow come through um, and so that we know their type and know exactly how to relate to them. And, but if we focus on what's happening inside of us, our four quarter motivations, it can really change all the relationships that we're in. Okay, so that leads me to wonder if we're not supposed to type other people, we're not supposed to type our spouses, type our kids, how is the Enneagram helpful and applicable to us as parents? Can, can it help us? beyond just understanding ourselves, if we're looking at our kids? Well, you know, I, I'll take a first run at this, Bethy, and then jump in. But one of my favorite, like top five parenting books was written by Dan Allender. And the title of the book is When Children Raise Parents. I think that's the name of it. What he was speaking to is that oftentimes, parents come with preconceived notions about how this is, this relationship is going to work and they are putting their child into the story that they want for their child versus the story that their child is living. And the reason why the Enneagram is so helpful is that it helps us to understand that we are parenting according to our Enneagram type. So I'll give you a very down-to-earth, very raw, transparent example of this. When my son, who was 18 at the time, was going to college, here we are, we started this new business as entrepreneurs, and he was intrigued by what was happening. He wanted to start a business uh, when he went to college as a side hustle. And I, being a type six and wanting to show loyalty uh, to my son and support him, was sharing with him the ways that this probably wasn't going to work. And he responded with tears. He started crying. Son's not a big crier. And he, he then said, I'd never wanted to say this to you, dad, but whenever I share my hopes and you come back with all the reasons it's not going to ho- come through, it crushes my heart. Now that's a very powerful moment now. So this is the moment a son and a father, every son and father has, the son's going to reflect back something of the father and the father has a choice whether or not he receives it or not. 
But because I knew my Enneagram type and my tendencies and how to I see the world, he's right. And it helped me to understand he too being a six, he's already mindful of all the worst case scenarios. So he's already feeling the burden of even having hope in the first place. And so because we had the language of the Enneagram, it actually helped us to connect with one another and to work on the problem together versus working at one another, trying to change one another. And so the Enneagram becomes very powerful in that con- in the parenting context. Well, and just to kind of piggyback on that, Jeff, so that was a story, one, it was very great to hear how the story, you saw your tendency as a six, but also for those parents that can't type their kids, because at that age, Nate was able to know his type. Um, And we've been using the Enneagram since our kids were about three and five years old. So, um, and there was even times where, you know, I think it's okay, you know, parents kind of eliminate maybe two, three, four types if they're like, I'm not seeing any indication of this, you know, motivation in my kid. Um, But then you want to hold like three types loosely because we really don't know um, the motivations of our kids. And so our son, we were kind of like, maybe he's a one, maybe he's a two, maybe he's a six. I don't really know. So I remember like when he was nine or 10 years old, he was helping some kids. And I said, okay, Nate, so did you do that because it's the right thing to do, the helpful thing to do, or the loyal thing to do? <laughs> and he just looked at me with really big eyes like, yeah, like all of them, you know, and I'm like, oh, you're not helping me because I'm trying to get to those core motivations. Um, but I think why that's helpful is it's totally great to be curious, to be a student of our kids and to always be studying how God created them and, and their type but they're really not going to be able to let you know until they're at least in their kind of mid to late teenagers. Um, if they have a family dynamic where there's a lot of emotional intelligence, it could be much later than that. If there's none of that taking place, but even for my son, who is much more of a, in a sense, cl- uh, clean cut typing, like once he was old enough, he's like, Oh no, it's definitely this. Now my daughter, on the other hand, I was like, well, maybe she's a nine or a two. And she looked a lot like me. And so I was convinced she was more of a nine. But then when she was in her teenage years, we had her take one of the tests and just to see what it would come up as. And it came up as a two. And I was like, really? And she started reading and she's like, Oh yeah, hands down. And I was surprised, but here's what happened is as kids become in their teenage years, they're going to start to differentiate from their parents, which really is hard on the parents. Cause they're like, wait, you're not like who you used to be, you know? Um, but my a thought with that from an Enneagram perspective is that their personality is really starting to take root and shine and wanting to be its own. Whereas as a type two, she was trying to appease and please me um, as her, you know, daughter to be like mom. But then in those two teenage years, it's like, I'm going to be me, you know, and there it came. And all of a sudden within probably that year, I was like, wow, yeah, you and I are nothing alike. (laughs) You know, like in the sense that twos can be very strong, they're opinionated, they're going to help you whether you want to or not, when they're not so healthy. Um, And so there's a lot of differences between the nine, the peacemaker to go along, to get along. And those came out in those teenage years. But that's really helpful for parents to realize is your kids in those teenage years, their personality is really trying to take root. And instead of kind of panicking and over parenting, why not continue to be curious? And you, you may or may not get to learn their type, but recognize where your heart is. So as a nine, I want my kids to be little angels, to be peaceful, to be, to empathize with everyone, to be as kind as possible. Well, you know, not all types have that same motivation. And I might be trying to force my kids into 
my personality style. Now that doesn't mean I have I have great things to offer my kids. As a nine, I can show them how to love all types of people to be very receptive, but that doesn't mean they were created to be a nine. And so for me to be open and receptive that I have good things to offer, but not to force them into something is also beneficial. So I need to check my own heart. I need to be solid in my um, understanding of how God created me, but also open and receptive of how God created them and to support them and and wherever that shakes out, whether I can see it right away or I need to wait patiently for that to be revealed. Mm, I love that. I hadn't ever thought about it, but I was just, as you were talking, thinking, man, our type, our lens really probably defines what our default like definition of success for our kids is going to be. And then that's going to really change the way we view them and interact with them. We asked our team. Yeah. Well, right, yeah. Bethany? So yeah, like praying and we had, um, our type nine parent who's like, yeah, when every night my husband, who's also a nine, this was this couple, um, we pray, you know, that they are empathetic and they're kind and they're, you know, loving and gather people together, you know, and then the eight in our group are one of our team members like, really, that's what you pray for. I pray that they're warriors <laughs> and they're strong. That their <laughs> yes is yes. And their no's no. <laughs> and it, made us all laugh, but it also, it also showed us that God gave us our kids for a reason, our personality style, but God also gave them and the personality style they have to us to learn. And so that's why, you know, people are like, you should write a parenting book, which we do hope, but it's not going to be like, oh, do this. And then this happens. It is so open and fluid, but that creates a dependency on God to work in and through us. Right. Um, and it, it, hopefully it will also help us to laugh and to be humble at the same time. Um, but it is no cookie cutter way when you've got a mix of kids and backstories. I know Jeff being adopted, a lot of your family's um, stories um, have that same. There's a lot of other things that are contributing that we also have to, to uh, be mindful of and to take note of as well. Yeah. So let's dive into that. Like, How does thinking about the Enneagram, knowing that our child has a lens that they see the world through. How can we use that to give us insight about how our child might process like the grief and loss and trauma that comes with adoption? Yeah. So Jeff and I really talk about going around the wheel because if you look at the Enneagram symbol, it's a circle with a nine pointed um, geometric figure, which looks like a nine pointed star. And each of those points represents one of the nine personality types. And so that circle, we, that's why we call it the wheel. But when you go around the wheel, you could talk about any subject. You could talk about how you parent from your personality style. And then what I want to get into with what you're saying is how do kids uh, see themselves and their relationship with others and what are they longing for? So we, the core longing is the message your heart longs to hear. And so each kid is longing for a message. And it's my belief that depending on trauma, whether they're in a healthy environment, unhealthy, um, how trauma has played into it, all of that's going to be a part of how much this longing has been met or needs to be met. And so when you go through the core longings, you'll see how significant it is to know what your kid's longing is. Now, here's the thing. We can't type our kids, right? So then it's like, well, how do I know? Well, if you know all nine type, then if you at least give them the message of all nine core longings at some point in some degree, you're going to land on one of them at least. And they're all great. So I'll go through them real quickly. And then Jeff will kind of land the plane on how it impacted his type six heart being adopted. So the type one longs to hear you are good. So they're trying their best to be 
good little girls and boys, perfect, no mistakes at all. Um, the type two longs to hear that you are wanted. They think they have to serve, give, help, be selfless in order to be loved. Um, the type three longs to hear you are loved for simply being you. They think they have to shape shift into the most successful or admirable image and to accomplish things in order to be loved. The type four longs to hear you are loved and seen for exactly who you are, special and unique. They fundamentally think there's something tragically flawed in them, but if they present an authentic, unique image, maybe that will garner love um, on their regards. A type five longs to hear that your needs are not a problem. For them, their needs are these huge, big boulders. Why would I hand that off to my parents or anyone else when it feels almost too big for me? Uh, the type six longs to hear you are safe and secure. Um, they feel like the world, there's chaos and confusion all around them. And is there any safety to be had? And then the sevens long to hear you'll be taken care of. It's like they have an insatiable desire inside them to fill themselves up. But the more they try to fill themselves up with excitement and stimulation, it's like an empty bucket with holes at the bottom. And they keep trying to fill and fill. And is anyone going to actually take care of me? And then the eights long to hear that you will not be betrayed or harmed. Um, and, you know, that is kind of straightforward as it is. And then nines long to hear that your presence matters. They think that their presence and their voice doesn't matter. So they don't assert themselves. They just go along to get along. So Jeff, as a type six, your core longing is that you are safe and secure. And how, how as a adopted child, did you, did that play into your story as well? So uh, the Enneagram is speaking to how we interpret our world. And it, that, that comes from certain beliefs and certain gifts that we have. And so what I was naturally gifted at as a type six child, I relied on to cope with the dynamics of being uh, in an adoptive family and all of the questions that came along with that. And I interpreted my parents and my experience, uh, even my appearance in that particular way through the lens of a six. Now for unhealthy families, um, I've heard it said there are three unhealthy dynamics to a dysfunctional family. Uh, one, it only happened if I say it happened. Number two, you can only feel the way that I tell you you can feel. Um, and then three, you can't talk to anyone about it. And so what that means is, is that if parents who are parenting according to their Enneagram type will look at me as a type six and say, uh, hey, little Jeffrey, like, you don't need to be anxious about anything, which totally dismisses what I'm actually feeling. It's not coaching me to help me understand why I might be feeling anxious. It's saying, don't feel anxious. So a parent's trying to get me to relate to the world according to their type, not necessarily my type. And, but what I've come to understand now in adulthood, what I really long for as a child is for someone uh, to attune and coach. I needed someone to see my tantrums, not as a problem, but as an opportunity to help me process what's actually happening internally. Because what did happen whenever I was the problem child that I was out of control, I threw temper tantrums, which were really were um, 
symptoms of anxious attachment, those really were opportunities that they had to be able to connect with me versus turn away from me. And that specifically specifically has impacted even my marriage now where I wasn't, didn't have the skills necessary to self-regulate in marriage and often would get really big with Beth until I started to learn those skills and then started to see that that was a way of me processing a lot of things, even at a very young age. So interesting because as an adoptee, I was a tantrum thrower too. Um, Mine were almost always about chores because as a seven, they didn't sound fun to me. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) It was was very much not about attachment. And at least I didn't feel like it was. Um, But I also remember, so like a lot of our parents did when they didn't know what to do with our big feelings, it was like, go to your room until you can figure this out and come down when you're calm. And I didn't really realize until, you know, understanding like, you know, core longings and things like in that moment, what I really wanted was someone to just take care. Like I wanted someone to take care of me, not to turn me away, but for kind of slightly different reasons, Jeff, than what you were just describing. So I think that's so interesting. Well, do you know what your, what your parents' Enneagram types were? Do I know? Um, they are preschool teachers and they just did an Enneagram workshop. And I think, I think my mom's a two or nine and my dad's a six. So my parents, uh, my dad was a nine, my mom was a two. So my dad would experience my emotions as a nine would. And he would distance himself because he didn't know how to handle his own world. And my mom didn't know how to help. And so she felt internally, they both felt, I don't know what to do versus what the Enneagram can help parents understand is here are my weaknesses, but here are things that I can work on so that I can enter into the world of my child. Um, So if my mom, if she wrestles with the reality that she will always be needed as my mom, And even at times when I don't accept that gift of her serving me, that doesn't mean that she's not lovable. Or my dad, he may not know the answers. He may not experience the same level of anxiety, but this is an opportunity for him to bring his nine heart and create a very safe place for his son to be able to process these things. And the Enneagram gets really powerful in that sense because it then helps us to understand why am I inclined to do things when my child acts up? And to have language, to be able to talk with a child, to help understand what they're experiencing and help give them a vocabulary to explain what's happening inside of them. Jeff, can you tell us a little bit about just what, how your family of origin, like your adoptive family, how it was composed, like siblings, adopted, non-adopted? I'm just curious about that. Yeah, um, it, uh, whew. <laughs> yeah, as I, uh, so I, I've actually found my biological mother as well. Um, but uh, so I was adopted at six months. My mom could not have children. Uh, she had some congenital illnesses that would uh, that prevented that, um, and they were going to be lifelong. Matter of fact, my bio, my adoptive mom died in two thousand uh, because of these illnesses. Now I grew up with a mom who would go in the hospital one, two, three times a year most, most years of my childhood. Uh, I didn't have any other siblings. It took them two years to finally get the adoption agency to, um, to give them a child. Uh, It is funny though. I grew up thinking that they picked me out. Like you pick out a puppy at the mall. When you remember those mall stores, like you can look at the Mm -hmm. window. Like I literally thought that was Mm -hmm. what happened. Like they just, Hey, I like that 
brown baby mm-hmm. over there. Yeah, but um, then tell them the story when you realized you were adopted. That was quite, you oh, learned. Well, that was actually beforehand, but I, for years, thought that they still selected me. But yeah, I, I laid my, I was six years old, laid my head on my mom's stomach and said, did I really come from in there? <laughs> She's like, no. Oh, <laughs> well, talk about confusion. No, but it was just, I just accepted that reality. Like I didn't know what exactly that meant otherwise, but I'm like, oh, okay. Now, please understand. So did, so, uh, did she then go on to explain how you did come to be her son or was just, no, you didn't grow in my belly? Yeah. She explained it. Yeah. No, no, no. She just said, you're, okay, you're adopted. Okay. And, like, yeah, so it was very clear. I, and plus, I look so different. So I'm half Mexican and a quarter Cherokee Indian. And my parents are as Texas, Caucasian, redneck as you can think of. So it was very clear I am not like them. But I didn't have any other siblings. Um, now, sadly, there my adoptive family brought their own trauma. My mom had been not only abused in a variety of ways, but also abandoned by her parents uh, by around the age of 13. So she went and lived with her aunt um, and their 11 children, I think. And then my dad was, had his own wounds that brought them into the family. So it, there, there were some complexities that now as an adult, I've had the privilege to be able to walk through. But at the same time, it's become really the soil for what Beth and I do with the Enneagram now because we've done our own work uh, regarding the story that God has given us to be available and not experience the kind of fear and shame around some of those stories. Oh, that is so good. Can you comment a little bit on how the different types might process grief and loss? Yeah, we've not gone there uh, specifically and what we there does exist would probably be anecdotal. And and I will say this because it is um, very uh, important to recognize. We don't want to fit people into the Enneagram, but we want the Enneagram to be able to give vocabulary to parts of who they are as people. And so I think for many of us, having found your type, it's an it would be a profitable question of now that I recognize that I'm a type six, how do I uniquely process grief rather than allowing the Enneagram to tell us how I process grief, but to recognize that my experience of grief is unique to my type and to me as a person. It doesn't have to look like another person's grief. You know, uh, my husband Russ and I went through a very tragic grief experience in losing one of our children. And I think one of the things that shocked me the most was how differently we grieved that loss, like outwardly, how differently, how we behaved in the loss. And I remember thinking, if you had asked me how I would respond to a loss like this and how Russ would, I would have had us wrong. Like we responded differently. And, um, As I've learned more about the Enneagram, it's helped me to understand, you know, just the simple fact that Russ and I see the world differently. We experience loss differently, and we ask different questions of God in the face of loss. And so, you know, we recognize adoption as a loss for our children. You know, they've lost the first parents. They've lost their first mom. And um, and they may have experienced many tragedies before they come to us. Um, but it does help me to 
at least ask the questions, how is my child experiencing this? And the more I understand about the Enneagram, the more, maybe it gives me more questions, but I hope it helps me be more um, empathetic and open to the, to the fact that they don't process it the way I do. That I think if, if anything, you, it's just kind of like, like grief. Like I, I'm not going to, normally I can go around the wheel and just kind of spout off a lot of stuff. Um, but what I do know is that Jeff and I and my kids will experience grief differently and I can walk into any circumstance assuming that we're going to see it differently. Um, and that's what in our book called Becoming Us, our first chapter is called a suicide because we often assume incorrectly other people's thoughts, feelings, and motives. And then we react off of those assumptions and it can harm and even destroy our relationships if we think they're real. And so if we can actually assume we don't know and ask clarifying questions or give clarifying statements of how we're experiencing it, that can really do a lot for any of our relationships. I guess jumping into, you know, Beth, you just referenced your book, Becoming Us, and helps us navigate this beautiful, complicated other relationship we have in a lot of our lives, right, called marriage. Talk about how that can impact us staying on the same page as we parent our kids. Because one of the things, unfortunately, that this journey of adoption does when we have kids who have really high needs and sometimes really challenging behaviors is it exposes all the cracks in our marriage that we didn't even know were there. So how can our knowledge of the Enneagram help keep us all on the same page through this process of parenting kids with a lot of complexities? Yeah, so Becoming Us is, um, you know, the subtitle is Using the Enneagram from a Gospel-Centered Perspective. You know, we want you guys to thrive in that. Now, though it says it's for marriage, it's really a book on relationships. Um, so it could be how you relate to your kids, your parents, your um, coworkers, et cetera. Um, and so we're really diving into uh, family of origin. Uh, we're diving into conflict communication all through the lens of the Enneagram from a gospel centered perspective, just to kind of give everyone a heads up on that. Um, but in the back of the book is really where a lot of the gold is. And when you go to the back of the book, there are eight pages on each of the types. The first six pages is understanding me and the last two pages is understanding them. And so hopefully people will read all eight pages to understand the people themselves and the people in their lives. But those two pages, even if people don't like to read, just two pages can really transform relationships because it's going to help you to understand why they do what they do, like what activates them. Uh, how they communicate, but also it's going to show how to love them well, how to encourage them, things like that. And so whether you know your spouse, that can be really beneficial. But then if you get to know your kids, you can take it there as well. Jeff, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, to give you a common circumstance that we experienced uh, um, parenting and how this plays itself out. So uh, if either of our children were to say something that might be disrespectful to Beth, that's the incident. That's the issue at hand. And then everybody's going to have a response to it, similar to like families being on an inner tube in the water. If anybody moves, the whole family needs to move. It impacts everybody. And so what would typically happen is that Beth would experience that, that her presence or voice 
or her role as a mom doesn't matter. And she's naturally inclined, according to her Enneagram type, to respond in her behavior and in her communication in a particular way. And for Beth, that would look in two ways. Number one, she would look to our child and she would say things like, obey my words, uh, meaning you're not listening to what I'm saying, but it's important to me that you listen. Um, but underneath that is, I, I don't think my child thinks I'm valuable. And then she would reach out to me, Jeff, do something. The difficulty with that in therapeutic terms, it's called triangulating, where we bring in another party to help have bring stability to this relationship that we're in. And I was aware enough in my own pastoral training to recognize that I don't want my son to respect my wife because dad's coming home and he's going to discipline him until he respects his wife. I wanted my son to respect his mother and to know how to treat his mother, uh, regardless of who, where I'm in the relationship. And so the, the way that when Beth would look at me and say, Jeff, can you do something? I'm then stuck because as a type six, I want to be loyal to both of them. If I start to help one another through affirming and attuning to one another, it's going to look like I'm choosing sides. And so then that would lead to Beth assuming, see, Jeff doesn't even think my voice matters. And we would just go around and around in this dance with one another. And it really is a simple way of looking at no matter what's happening with the child, there is a way for parents to be able to connect without getting uh, spun out about what's happening in the child's life. Meaning just asking simple questions when, so let's take a situation for, when I went through tantrums, uh, I played a lot of soccer and I would get thrown out of games whenever I get frustrated. So for my parents to talk to one another saying, hey, so Jeff got thrown out of another game today. How did you experience that? What do you need from me right now to help you with how you experience what happened on the field today? It's not about how we're going to parent. It's not about tactics and calm or um, necessarily fixing the situation, but it's simply attuning to your spouse to say, you experience that uniquely from your perspective. What is it right now that you need that I can attune to you and help? And, and then vice versa uh, for Beth to ask me, Hey, Little Jeffrey got thrown out of a game. How did you experience? What are you inclined to do because of what he did? And where you can talk about it safely, kind of outside of your relationship versus trying to take it out on one another and trying to prove what's right. Because if there's anything that I've come to understand about parenting is that all these promises that you can get parenting right, I think is a mirage. It is, is an experience to walk through together who knows what's right in these situations? <laughs> I mean, we're, we're dealing with, I joke with Beth sometimes, like I put upon her the mistakes of my adoptive parents and my biological parents. She will never be able to make up for the loss of that. And it's unfair for me to even try to get that from her. And so when our children are bringing needs as parents to recognize, hey, we're limited here, but I want you to always know I'm here, I'm with you, and I'm available to help you. Well, that's, I mean, that's right there, Jeff. We could just, yeah. like, my <laughs> thanks, we're done here. And this will be the final episode of the Adoption Connection Podcast. 
That's all, that's all you need to know. And, uh, you know, we are parenting kids, some of us, a lot of kids. And so there are a lot of different personalities. And then you add in mom's personality or her number and dad's and it can get like a big soup, you know? And so I do think the more, the more I've learned, I have a lot of children and the more I've learned about the Enneagram, some of my kids are pretty clearly one type, although I have avoided telling them what I think, but um, it does help me think about why they might respond certain ways and why we might interact certain ways. And that's so helpful. There are times that I even say to our kids, because I know it happens in our marriage where before you get into the fight, you know that you're about to fight and you know where the fight's going to end. Yeah, you know, that kind of dynamic and you got to make the choice. Do I really want to fight right now? Is this really worth it? Because I know where it's going to end up. The same is true with our kids. The same is true. And one of the things that we can do as parents is simply to transcend or disrupt the pattern where we just acknowledge, uh, so this is usually the time where I get upset with you and then you want to run away from me. What can we do to change that? And it's just all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, there's another way to process what's happening. And there is. And, but knowing our Enneagram types helps us to understand, hey, whenever you do this, this is how I experience it. Would you mind helping me understand what was happening inside of you whenever you decided to do that? Well, and also what activates you doesn't activate me and what activates me doesn't activate you. And so that's really helpful to understand because then I can pause and go, okay, why am I so activated with this? Is this true? Or is this my perception? Is, are the kids telling, are they trying to tell me my presence doesn't matter? Or am I interpreting their behaviors as if that is true. And so it gives us pause to reflect instead of react and then ask those clarifying questions. Cause now that our kids are older teenagers and they come home for college um, and they know the Enneagram, let's say I go downstairs. I'm like, Hey guys, could you clean the dishes in the kitchen? I'm going to go work for a while and I'll be back down, you know, later. And they're old enough. They're 19 and 20. And so let's say I go down, you know, five hours later and the dishes are still not clean and they're still watching movies or whatever. Well, as a nine that my presence and my voice doesn't matter comes to the surface and I'm triggered. Right. And I'm like, see, I knew it was true. And they're like, mom, I can totally see that you would interpret it that way. We're just lazy teenagers. We weren't, <laughs> <laughs> we really <laughs> weren't thinking about you. And, and, and we're, we have such a good relationship now that they can say that. And, but it really, of course, inside me, I'm like, no, what I'm seeing is true because it feels true. But it, it helped to jolt me enough to go, wait a second, maybe that's true. Maybe they really do love and admire me. They just are lazy teenagers or they're not thinking about me. It's not a, they're trying to hit my hot button. So if that's true, then how can I relate to this differently? And would I, could I? And so the Enneagram can really just help us to understand what activates us. And before we actually go there to have that pause button to reorient our mind in a healthier direction so that we can navigate those relationships, especially as parents to, like Jeff said, transcend because our kids, they don't have those tools and resources. We have to develop those and then help tra train them to develop those as well. 
Well, I think one really useful tool for all of us, even with young kids, is to to explain the idea of us all having different lenses that we're looking through. I think they even children can understand the different colored glasses. And I haven't really tried that with my my younger kids. I mean, my youngest is now 13, but I could see him understanding that. And I think even with family dynamics, a thing that could be really powerful is I, I've done this. I've gone on Amazon and I bought um, a set of nine colored lenses um, and I've taken them to different speaking engagements and we actually use those with interactive play. And so it could be where as a family, you literally put on your color lens and as you work through a family dynamic, you ask the person, Hey, can, can I have your lens? Can you tell me how you saw it? And I think that would be a physical way for the kids to see not everybody sees and interprets and experiences it the way I did, but they also shows validation that that's how you experienced it. That's how you heard it. Um, but it may also not be necessarily accurate and how can we validate, but also redirect at the same time, which is a very tricky thing, but I think that could be very powerful. Yeah. Our kids definitely need concrete learning experiences. The abstract is not our friends. I appreciate, (laughs) I appreciate that suggestion. Um, Guys, thank you so much for being here with us and sharing your wisdom. Lisa and I both have spent some time with the Enneagram, but I know just from talking with you guys, we're both having light bulb moments about (laughs) our own parenting journeys and our own marriages. Uh, So we really just appreciate um, all the work that you've done over the years and the resources that you guys just continually kind of pump out into the world. And we'll definitely be pointing people in that direction so that they can find out more um, if they haven't had a chance to really dive into what all the Enneagram has to offer. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, thanks guys for having us. It's a joy. Yeah. Thank you. Well, we hoped you enjoyed that conversation with Beth and Jeff as much as we did. It was so fun to get to know them and to just draw on their wisdom. So Lisa alluded at the beginning of the interview that we had something exciting to tell you. And so we are super excited to tell you that we are now certified Enneagram coaches. And we actually did that through one of Jeff and Beth's programs called Become an Enneagram Coach. Yay. We're so excited. We are so excited. And so what that means is, is that we have dug super deep into the Enneagram and also learned how to help other people, one, discover their type because it's not as simple as just taking a test. Tests are actually not super accurate at all because the Enneagram started as a narrative tradition. So it can be really helpful to have someone kind of guide you through that. And it also means that we can help folks who already do know their number kind of grow deeper into that personal growth, discovery, understanding their motivations, helping them apply that to parenting and even understanding their kids better. We can't type other people, so we can't type our spouses or our kids, but because there are these nine basic ways to see the world, we can start to understand what might be going on with the people in our family. And it it does. It sheds so much light. You'll have so many aha moments. And then it gives us practical steps and practices to make all of those dynamics better. I think for me, the more I learn about the Enneagram, not only does it help me 
to work toward my own transformation and personal growth, but it gives me so much more compassion for the people that I love and for my husband and my kids because I'm beginning to be able to understand them through their lens and their way that they see the world. So we're really excited here at the Adoption Connection to begin digging a little deeper into the Enneagram with you. And, uh, you know, we have our community, The Village, And we've recently added some new content to the village. So besides a monthly parent training video that we do, we're also rolling out a monthly Enneagram connection video. And we'll be talking live about the Enneagram in the village in our in our regular coffee chat conversations that we have that are live and also in our discussion forums. So if you want to learn more about the Enneagram and how it impacts your life, the kind of parent you are, your children, all of that, we invite you to join us in the village. Yeah, you can do that at theadoptionconnection.com slash village. This is really the place where you get nurtured and it's the place to get new stuff about the Enneagram from us. Lisa mentioned that parent training. So it helps us dig deeper into the ways that we can best parent our kids who are a little different from neurotypical kids. We, this month, we're talking about how to balance nurture and structure. It's a place to connect, feel heard. So, I mean, it's really your one-stop shop for kind of diving deeper into who you are as an adoptive parent. So we're really excited about that. Jeff and Beth are generously providing you with a free download that is an overview of all nine types of the Enneagram, and it will begin to give you a glimpse of the great things you can learn there. You can grab the download and find out more about the village and connect with Jeff and Beth. They are your Enneagram coach pretty much in all the places. That's the website, yourenneagramcoach.com. You can find them on Instagram. We will also link, of course, to their new book and also uh, Ian Kron's and Suzanne Stabile's book, The Road Back to You, which Lisa mentioned earlier. So all of that will be in one neat and tidy place for you at the show notes. And you can find those at theadoptionconnection.com slash 85. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram as The Adoption Connection. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a quick review over on iTunes. It will help us reach more moms who may be feeling alone. And remember, until next week, you're a good mom doing good work and we're here for you. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.